Leviticus chapter 1, verse 1. Here we go. The Lord called Moses and spoke to him from the tent of meeting, saying, and then you're going to have to wait till next week. So that's our verse. Let me read it one more time. The Lord called Moses and spoke to him from the tent of meeting, saying, let's pray. Let's thank God for his word. Jesus, we thank you for your word tonight. Gosh, Lord, we love your presence and we love hearing from you. And this is actually the thing the Spirit loves to speak through more than anything else. This is the sword of the Spirit. And so we just, right now, we submit ourselves to you, God. You wrote this book and you speak. It's living and it's active. And even in Leviticus, it's, it is just as living and active as our favorite Bible verse. And so we just say, come, we say, speak, Holy Spirit. If, if we're tired, if we've had a long week, if our minds feel fried, um, would you help us? Help us um, if we're sleepy. Help us if there's a lot of drama going on in our life. God, just help us right now to fix our attention on you because this is actually the very best thing we could be doing right now is hearing and studying your word. So we thank you for it. We thank you that you've given it to us. And right now we're just expectant to hear from you, God. Would you help me now help all of us to, to, to see more clearly who you are and that you're a God who's not far off, but you speak, you call, you want to meet with us. We thank you. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so if we're honest, we all have like, I wish, like if I were to say, who wants to hear more from God? I think prob- there probably wouldn't be many of us who are like, nah, I'm good. Like I hear enough from God. We all have this sense of like, I want to hear from God. A week ago, I went camping by myself. And I've never done that. And I was sitting at the fire and I, lit- I had one of those moments where you're just like by yourself for so long and the fire was there. And I was just like looking in the fire and I was like, what if an angel literally just showed up like he did in the Bible and was just there? And I like felt all the emotion and then the angel didn't come. And I was like, dang it. Like that would have been so sick. That would have been awesome. And, uh, and then the Lord reminded me, he's like, hey, do you want to hear from me? Like, I've actually spoken a lot. Like, you want to hear from me? You want to hear from my spirit? Like, open this thing up. Open it. Like, we all wish we could hear more from God, but honestly, like, God feels really far off sometimes, like maybe every single day. Uh, if, if you try to, like, get up early and read your Bible, like I do, I, I wake up and I'm like, I honestly don't want to read this book right now. I'm so tired. I just want to go to bed. I want more coffee. I know it's good, but like, Oh, why is it so hard? Like, why is it so hard to read this book? Why, if God, God is real, why did he choose to make himself invisible? And like, why doesn't he just show up in the sky and be like, hey, just a quick reminder in case you're doubting, I'm real and I'm here. Like, why doesn't he do that? Doesn't he feel distant sometimes? And then even when you're like the closest to God you've ever been, like that moment passes and you, you can look back on that moment and be like, yeah, but was that just like my emotions? Like, it was like a feeling that was awesome, but even that moment, we can doubt. And like, was that really God? And then, like, questions start to come, especially now as we're, like, shaping what we think about life. We have questions like, how can we really know, like, who's right about God? Like, I've, I've had these questions. How do we know, like, this is right? How do we know Christianity is right? How do we know we're right about God? How do we know this is the way you hear from God? Or, like, why does, if God is so good and real, why does he seem to hide himself? We have this sense that God is hiding himself. He's hard to get to. Like he's, he's distant and he's far. And you may not know this, but Leviticus was actually written to address those questions of like God feeling far away and God feeling unapproachable. Like 
if you remember, if you have a little bit of knowledge of the story of the Bible, the Israelites were, they came from Abraham, then they went to, they got enslaved for 400 years, and now they're stuck in Egypt. So imagine real quick, I'm just going to help you understand what's going on in Leviticus. Imagine you were an Israelite, and this is your life. This is your experience of God, okay? You're born into slavery, so you just have been a slave your whole life. Then one day, some guy shows up and is like, hey, God wants to deliver you. And you're like, okay, that sounds cool. Uh, and then your slavery gets worse because he was trying to deliver you. And then you start watching like these insane freaks of nature happening. Like, like the first day, the Nile River turns into blood and you're like, that's interesting. Uh, and then frogs, just without number, start just coming in, in your house, frogs. You're like, what is happening? Is this... God delivering us because there's frogs in my house. And then gnats start to swarm everywhere. Like even if there's one gnat on your like mouth, it's the worst thing. Gnats everywhere, including you're an Israelite and you're like, really, this is who God is? I, we've been in slavery for all these years and now this is happening. And then all of a sudden like things get worse, but not for the Israelites, not for you. All of a sudden all the Egyptian cows and goats die. And you're just like, that's interesting. And then you watch your, your taskmasters go by and they're covered in boils. All of them, every Egyptian's covered in boils and you're like, I don't have any boils. This is, this is crazy. Like, this is God. And then hail falls and just kills every living tree, every bush. And then whatever's left on the ground, locusts come and just eat it. But all of your plants in your town of Goshen is like everything's standing and sunny and then it's just decimated. And you're like, this is, this thing about, this is your experience of God. This is, you like had this story of God is real and he called us, but we're in slavery now and God like brought us here or something, but you're starting to watch this happen. And then finally it gets dark, just pitch black dark. Can't explain it except for in your town. I can't even understand what that means. Like just darkness and then a sunbeam. And then Moses tells all the leaders like, okay, here's what's going to happen. Tonight, every firstborn son's going to die. And you, what, this is what you need to do. This is God saying this. You need to kill a lamb, put the blood over the, your door. And if you do that, then you'll be safe. And you, you're sitting there and you're eating the Passover meal like at midnight, just eating, wondering. And then you think about this. You actually hear Egyptians like start to like wail and mourn. Like you hear that happening. And you're like, oh my gosh, what is happening? And then you get the news, like Pharaoh said, get out. And you're like, so, okay. So we, you start to leave. And now you're, you're leaving and you're like, this is cool, I think. But this is insane and I'm scared. And now we get to the Red Sea. And then you watch the Red Sea, the ocean basically just part. And you're walking through it. And this is, this is your only experience of God. So you're just tripping out. And you're like, I guess it's cool that I'm not an Egyptian. But this God seems really intense. Right? Like, do you want to just go worship that God? You're like, this God is like, I don't know, I wanted to say psycho, but maybe that's wrong. But you're like, this is crazy. This is what God is doing. God is terrifying. And then he delivers you, and then all of a sudden, just like a pillar of fire is there, and we're like, oh, that's what we're going to follow. You're like, okay. And so you're following this pillar of fire, and then you get to this mountain, and then the mountain, it was so terrifying. Lightning, it said, if anyone touches the mountain, they die. If a goat touches your pet, your dog runs away, touches a mountain, dead. You're like, this is who God is. He is absolutely terrifying. And you're just in the wilderness now, like, 
There's no water. You're frustrated. 40 days go by, which, I mean, have you ever gone camping for 40 days? Think about that. You're camping for 40 days after just this trauma. And uh, you're like, okay, yeah, this is weird. Like, I heard the way people worship God is you like make these idols and then you, and then they like, you get to talk to them. So like, there's like this safe place and like, maybe that's what God wants us to do. I don't know. I've never really heard. We're not supposed to do that. So you make, everyone's like, yeah, that sounds like a reasonable idea. And Aaron's like, yeah, okay. So you make this golden calf and then like 20,000 people die. And you're like, okay, I'm sorry. I guess that was the wrong idea. Shoot. Like your friends just died. And you're like, this God is actually like, I, he is terrifying. I think it's cool that I've been delivered, but I'm honestly terrified. So we have this sense that God is far away. The Israelites had this sense that God is just in, like insane and gnarly and don't even touch anything he touches or you're going to die. Like God, they were experiencing, this is cool. I believe in God, but like he, there is no way I'm going to go worship God right now. There is no way I can approach him. I tried to make a thing so that we could talk and that doesn't go well. Like what am I supposed to do? And then Moses comes down and he's glowing and everyone's like, this is trippy. So like God felt really distant and really intimidating if you were an Israelite. And how would you not wonder, is this God good? Like, thanks for delivering me, but is he really good? And, and is there any way that I could have any meaningful relationship? Because the Egyptians got to like, every day they got to make a sacrifice and they got to like, have some communion with God. So that's the context of Leviticus. All that just happened. The whole, we all just messed up. God killed a bunch of people. And then Leviticus happens. And verse one starts with these words, the Lord called Moses. We're going to get a little bit nerdy for a second. So that word called in Hebrew, it's, I'm guessing how to say it, it's vayikra. Uh, that's the word for call. And it's actually in Hebrew what the name of Leviticus is, Vayikra, whatever, however you say it. That was the name of Leviticus. And then we changed it when we translated it to Greek and Latin. And so we got Leviticus. But it was called, it was called, called. That was the name of Leviticus. And he called. And it's not the same word. So if you have your Bible, it starts and it says, the Lord called Moses and spoke to him. So there's that second word, spoke. So the Lord called and then he spoke. It's not the same word for spoke. So uh, the word, going to get even nerdier, the Hebrew word for spoke is vayedaber. And that word is, has a sense of when someone in authority is commanding you to do something. That's what spoke means. But the word vayikra is the word for when you would like invite someone over to your house or invite them to be with you. It has a sense of like, I'm going to enter into your presence. Like, hey, let's come, let's hang out. It has a sense of drawing near or friendship. And so the entire book of Leviticus, the name itself, what the whole book is all about is the fact that God seems so far off and so dangerous and so crazy, but that God calls us to be with him, invites us to be in his presence. Now, like, in the context, you're like, okay, but that sounds terrifying. I'm just not going to walk up to God. And so Leviticus makes ways for humans to interact with God. If before Leviticus, if you went on the mountain, you died. You do anything wrong, you died. You're an enemy of God, you died. And then Leviticus happens. 
And it's a statement of God saying, hey, I actually want to be with you. Which, again, sounds terrifying, but that is what the book is about. And so here's kind of point number one on the Lord called. I want us to to think about this. God initiates a relationship with him. And that's actually radical, even now. And in that time, every other religion ever is you want to have a relationship with God, you have to observe the world, figure out, I think there's a God of the wind, and so I'm going to make an idol, an idol and I'm going to sacrifice to it, and hopefully if I do all this stuff, it will like, go well for me. That was the way people interacted with God. Now, this God is like, hey, I'm actually going to, I'm going to invite you to be with me. I'm going to take initiative. I'm going to invite you to come be with me. Think about this. God is actually not the one who's far off. We are. And he's like, hey, come be with me. You ever think about that? God is not the one who's far off. You are. We are. And, but who is God? He's the God who is like, hey, come be with me. That's who God is. God is the one who initiates, who enters in from the beginning. When the Israelites were in slavery, like they didn't do a bunch of good stuff and God's like, okay, you've done enough good brick making, I'll save you now. Like God took initiative. He saw their suffering and he wanted to be with them. When God called Abraham, Abraham didn't even know who God was. And God called him. When God called Noah, Noah was just doing his thing. God was like, hey, I'm gonna, I'm gonna talk to him. And I'm like, hey, I'm gonna destroy everything, but I wanna save you. I wanna invite you to be saved. And even when Adam and Eve sinned, the first thing God did, is he called after them. That's who God is. And think about this. You would not have any relationship with God unless he initiated with you, unless he called you. God is in the business of like inviting people, of calling people to be with him. And even like tonight, I think God is calling us, maybe people who don't even know him yet, to be with him. Because God wants to be with his people. He wants to be with people who aren't even yet his people. That's just crazy. God is like, I'm going to invite someone to be with me who they don't even know who I am. And I want to be with them. And you can see that in the, where it says in verse one, the Lord called Moses and spoke to him from where? It says, from the tent of meeting. So the word, the the other word for tent of meeting was this thing called a tabernacle, which is basically in Exodus, God's like, hey, this is where I'm going to meet with you. And he explains, it's like this perfect, uh, like you have to do this. And it's, it's like chapters and chapters of the tabernacle being perfect. And, but, but look what it is. It's a tent of what? It's a tent of meeting. Like God wants to meet with us. He wants to meet with you. And then here's the next thing to notice because there's an order that's reversed. So I want you to notice this. God calls first, And then he speaks, or he calls to be with, and then he instructs. So to put it another way, God is inviting you to be near him before he ever tells you to go do something. God wants you to be with him before he ever wants you to go do something for him, before he ever wants you to obey him, before he ever wants you to do anything else. He's like, hey, come be with me. He calls Moses, and then... Now that they're hanging out in a tent, 
He's like, now I want to tell you some things. I want to teach you some things. I want you to know what it's like to be with me. A fancy way of saying that is grace actually comes before law. You're like, I know we think like Old Testament's the law and it's just like, oh, and then Jesus comes and finally God is gracious. Did you know, even in Leviticus, God is like, hey, I love you. Come be with me. Okay, now like this is how this relationship's going to work out. Grace always comes before law. Did God give them all the laws? They obeyed it. And he's like, good job. Now I'll save you from slavery. No, he's like, I'm going to save you. I'm going to be gracious to you. And now come be with me. Come hang out with me. Come obey me. This is what life looks like. So some of you guys, like we have to reverse that order. God is not saying, you want to hang out with me? You better get this in line. And then I'll think about hanging out with you. I'll think about being with you. And that's honestly, as uncomfortable as it is for some of us who've been going to church, that's his posture towards the world also. He's, he doesn't say to some crazy person who doesn't come to church, hey, you get it right, you get things together, then come be with me. Jesus goes to sinners in the middle of their sin. And he's like, hey, come be with me. Jesus' heart towards the world is like, I want to be with you. Come be with me. And then he speaks, which that's honestly, that was kind of the intro, which is cool. God calls. But this night tonight, I'm used to saying morning. Tonight, uh, this sermon is really about the fact that what does it mean that God speaks? What does it mean that God speaks? So God speaks uh, that's like his favorite thing to do, actually. When God was like, how am I gonna create the universe? Well, how am I gonna do it? He's like, do you know what I wanna do? I'll speak, and then the universe will happen. And he spoke and then created light. And then he spoke and then he created planets and water. And, and then, as side note, this doesn't relate at all, but did you know the only thing he made by hand was people? That's kind of cool, right? He's like, no, but you, I'm gonna pick you up from the dirt and I'm gonna make you. But every other time when God does something, he speaks, he speaks. And so the church, Christians, we, we wanna follow Jesus. We have like a really high priority on this book. God speaks and that is why we have the Bible. Just, uh, I'm gonna read a couple verses about the Bible. You may not, uh, you may be familiar with these but not realize what it means. First Timothy 3.16, classic. All scripture is breathed God breathed, like speaking, and useful for instruction, conviction, correction, and training in righteousness. Only the New Testament, only the verses I like. No, all scripture. This book, every single word of it, including Leviticus 1 verse 1, is God breathed. And then some of us have this idea of like, okay, yeah, but the Bible is written by people, and you really got to understand like people, and, and they were like explaining about God. But look what first, or 2 Peter 1 verse 20 says. Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of scripture comes from the prophet's own interpretation. You know when people are like, that's your interpretation. Guess what? No prophecy of scripture comes from the prophet's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever brought about through human initiative. No prophecy was ever brought about by any human initiative, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So this book is actually God speaking. Actually, God spoke every word of this book. And when we are like, I want to hear from God, God has actually spoken. This is, I have to say this, this is the primary way we hear from God. This is the way God speaks, his word. Now, some of you guys 
are Pentecostal and like charismatic, and that's awesome. And you're like, yeah, but God speaks to me too. And he speaks to me not in the Bible. And that's true. The Bible talks about prophecy. The Bible says you have the Holy Spirit. But almost every time when the Spirit speaks, he still speaks prophetically through scripture. Because he wrote this book. The Spirit made this book. And he's like, if I want to talk to you, I have a favorite way of doing it. I wrote it. This is how I'm going to do it. Now, he doesn't always do that. He gives pictures of whiteboards with words and erasing. He, gives, he leads us in other ways. But listen, 99 out of 100 times you want to hear from God, like, it's right here. And it wouldn't honor God to be like, ah, I know you spoke that way, but like, I want you to speak in my way. We should ask for God to speak to us, but like, he has given us a Bible. He actually has spoken this. And I know we're young and we're like, oh, books and Bibles and I, I just want to be free. Where the spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. The spirit of God wrote this book. So don't like, this is the way God speaks. You could be young, radical, love the Bible. It's okay. I can't emphasize enough. This is God speaking. God's about to speak. This is the best. They made all your planks of fir trees from Senir. God just spoke. Mind blown. God speaks when we read the Bible. Now, so there's that. But here's a really important thing for us at this age when we're in college or we're just shaping. This is how I think about the world. Uh, I'm getting a little bit like, it's going to get a little bit technical and historical. So for you nerds, this is going to be fun. Everyone else, you can come back in like three minutes. So something that is so important for us at this age is, is that the Bible actually gives you a foundation for knowing truth. Okay, and here's, here's what that means. Humans have always been asking the question, how, what is truth? How can I know what truth is? Can, can truth even really be known? How do we know that we can know? There's a word for that. It's called epistemology. It's like philosophers love that word. Epistemology is the study of how we get knowledge. And there's been different movements in history, like the first like, 1,200 years from Jesus Everyone was like, the Bible, obviously, like, this is how you know. I don't care what anyone says, it's the Bible. And then there's this thing that started happening, and we started getting, we started learning about science. And there's like the scientific revolution, the Copernican revolution of like, oh my gosh, we don't go, uh, the universe doesn't revolve around us. We revolve around the sun. And like, we started to learn about like the way the world worked. And people were like, okay, but the Bible said this. And people are like, yeah, but look, don't you see how it's different? And so we started to learn in, in a good way to like observe the way God has made the world. And it started to kind of change how we thought about truth. And that, there's things called like the enlightenment and modernism, and we're like able to study things. And, but then people kind of got over that. And uh, there was a really, really important guy, almost the end of the philosophy lesson, named Immanuel Kant. Kant, Kant, I'm not sure. And his basic idea, and it literally changed the universe, it changed every person since he spoke, is this. Something cannot be known as it is, like this pocket knife. This pocket knife cannot be known as it is, okay, but only as I experience it. So let me say it again. You can't actually know what this is as it is, but I can know that, okay, it feels like hard and cold and like sharp. So you can know something as you experience it. And that changed the world. It actually changed the world. There is no longer a way to know something out there. All it was is like, I know that it looks this way and feels this way. And it's ultimately, it's kind of like my observations in my brain, but it's different. Like I can't know. And so listen to this quote. A person 
This is cool because we just read about a fir tree. A person may think he's seeing a towering fir tree out the window, but in fact, he simply cannot know for sure what he's seeing. All he can know is his mind is producing the colors, shapes, relations, and other aspects that give him the impression of what he claims to see, a fir tree. So Immanuel Kant came along and people were like, can we know anything? Oh my gosh. And then one more name, this is awesome, German guy, Friedrich Schleiermacher. If you guys are RS majors, uh, you may know about him. He was a German guy and he was like, Kant, he was a smart guy. And so he took Immanuel Kant's ideas and applied them to God and applied them to the Bible. And basically he's saying this, one cannot know God as he actually is. One can only know of his experience of God. You get the difference? And, and so the Bible is not the study of God himself, but it's the study of the human experience of God. So this book is like, hey, this is how Daniel experienced God. This is how Isaiah experienced God. This is how the Jews experienced God. This is how Matthew experienced God. It's not actually God revealing himself objectively to us. It's humans observing and writing their experiences about God. And this is really important because this is actually like, you may not know it, but it's the water you breathe right now. And I guarantee you at Every secular university, this is how religion's taught. You can only know your experience about God. You can actually know something. And then it, it leads people, and you maybe have heard this, to be like, how can I know, if you guys know about the matrix, how do I even know this is real? And all I know is chemicals in my brain. And you can like actually get to a, a pretty like place of like, I don't know anything. I can't know anything. All I know is I'm experiencing chemicals. Is this real? Is this relationship real? Is God real? I can't really know. All it is is chemicals. Okay, end of philosophy lesson. I know that that actually can be really frustrating. Like, why are you saying this? Or why are you talking about what can be known? But this is so important because the Bible is actually the foundation for knowing that you can know something. The Bible is actually, and here's, let me explain why. So you're here and you're tripping out and I can't know anything. All I know is chemicals in my brain. Okay, let's say that's true. Then what if, hypothetically speaking, the being that made your brain and everything else decided to step into your world universe. He's like, I'm going to show up and told you about the world. So this isn't your experience. It was the guy who made it all and told you about the world and said, hey, this is true and that's not true. That, that is an objective way to know truth. It's not ultimately, I experienced that. It's it's something outside of you who made everything. It, it's him. And let me suggest, that's, that's the only way to know truth. That's the only way to know that you know is if the being who made everything showed up and said, I know you're confused and you have lots of crazy ideas, but I'm gonna tell you some things that are true. I'm gonna tell you some things that are true. If that didn't happen, we are particles floating in outer space with our own chemical, chemicals in our brain, trusting to like observe the best we can, but we can't ever really know that we know. Um, there's this parable, maybe you guys know it, of the blind men and the elephant. It's actually like pretty clever if you haven't heard it. Probably maybe you've heard it. Uh, basically, it's this. You get all these blind men, okay? And then maybe they've been blind their whole life. And you lead them to an elephant. And one guy walks up to the tail and is like, and someone's like, what is it? And he's like, oh, it's like a rope. It's like this weird rope. And then someone else walks and feels the like, hair, and he's like, no, it's like a brush. 
And then someone else goes to like a leg and he's like, no, it's a tree. I can tell it's a tree. This is what trees feel like. Another guy like just walks into the side. He's like, no, that's a wall. And then one feels the ear and he's like, oh, it's like my silk sheets. And so everyone's having different ideas of the elephant. And then the question is, who is right? And in some sense, they're all right about their experience, right? You guys get what I'm saying? It's not like the guy was wrong. Let's say they're like, oh, no, that's an ear, that's a leg. Like, they're right. They experience the elephant. But the saying goes, the, the parable goes, that's what religion is like. That's what God is like. And every religion has, like, its own experience of God. There's, there's a God out there. We are, we're blind, so we can't really know. But, like, Christians, they experience this part of God. Muslims experience this part of God, and Buddhists experience this part of God, and atheists actually experience this part of God. And we can't ever know. How can we know? And you know the, the only way we can know is if someone isn't blind and can see the elephant and says, hey, you're wrong. That's actually an elephant. That's the tail of an elephant. That's the trunk of an elephant. That's the ear. That's the only way to know. And that, my friends, is the Bible. That is what the Bible is. God can see. We can't, we are blind, we have limited experience and culture and blah, blah, blah. God can see. And God is the only one who has the ability to say, let me tell you what the elephant is. It's like this. Let me tell you what I'm like. I'm like this. God is not blind and he has spoken to us and that's the Bible. So if you're a philosophy major and you're thinking of tripping out about this, you can actually know truth Because God, who can see more than everyone, has spoken and given you truth. You actually have a foundation, a rock, to build logical conclusions on. You actually can know truth. And and so let me read a couple verses in case you're like, I thought you were preaching. Let me read you a couple verses. The Bible talks about this. Isaiah 45, 19 says this. God is speaking, saying, I did not speak in secret in a land of darkness, I did not say to the offspring of Jacob, seek me in vain. I, the Lord, speak truth. I declare what is right. Psalm 19, verse 8, the precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. We are blind and God is like, listen to my word and watch what happens. Psalm 36, 9, the precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. I just read that one. Psalm 43, verse 3, oh, send out your light and your truth. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy hill and to your dwelling places, which is a cool connection there between truth and being with God. So, Some of you guys right now, it's okay to be like wrestling through truth and how can I know God and what about other religions? Let me just say, the more you read this book, something actually happens to your eyes and to your brain. And I would say, keep asking those questions, but like keep going and looking at light. Like go hang out where light is and you're you're gonna learn and there's actually answers to this. And then let me briefly address, some of you guys are like, yeah, I know, I, I believe in the Bible. I believe it's the inerrant word of God. I don't have any problems with that. Thanks for the reminder. I think if you are like a a Bible guy, Bible girl, you're like, yeah, I love the Bible. Have my leather Bible. It's all marked up. I'm into the Bible. If that's you, I think we just need to be really gracious and patient with people's questions and know that like maybe there's going to come a day when we have questions. And I think that though this is sure, like we need to be humble about interpreting it. We need to be humble about people's experiences. Like we need to be gracious to people. The Bible says Jesus was full of something in truth. Do you know what it was? 
grace, grace and truth. We need to be really gracious to people. Now, uh, a quick word to someone if you're like questioning. Um, Let me just say this. Keep asking questions. Like keep asking questions because I believe that this book is gonna is gonna lead you to truth. This, apart from it being God's word and it's gonna open your eyes, just really quickly, do you know this book from beginning to end like checks out logically? Like it's cohesive, like there's one story, although it was written over 3,000 years by a lot of different people. Um, the Bible, I would argue, offers the most compelling reasons for life, it, for the, the questions we ask, like, how did we get here? Why are we here? What's the meaning of life? What explains my experiences most clearly? Like, let me just say, I think this actually answers those questions better than anything you're going to find. If you're into art, the Bible is the most beautiful work of art you'll ever see. Literally the most beautiful poetry, the most beautiful storytelling. It is a work of art. The more you study it, your mind will be, bro- will be blown. The Bible has proved itself in the ability to change lives unlike anyone else, and like any, anything else, unlike any other idea. No other book has changed and like upheaved societies like this one. Some have, but this one has been doing it for a long time. One more, the amount of prophecy fulfilled. There's things that were said hundreds of years before other events happened, and then they happened. And then you could be like, yeah, but then someone got, some guy like went after and changed it all and made it say that. Uh, there's this thing called the Dead Sea Scrolls, just to nerd out, where these, the Bible was hidden in these jars for like 2,000 years. And we've been translating it and like trying to keep it alive. And how do we know this is the same book it was 2,000 years ago? And then like in the 50s, some kid in Israel like threw a rock in a cave and heard something crack and pulls out all these scrolls. And it's like the same Bible as it was that we have 2,000 years ago. It's like the same thing. It's like proof. Prophecy actually couldn't have been changed. It checked out. God was like, I'm going to store all this. So when people are like, did they change it? Like, there it is, the Dead Sea Scrolls. You could literally go see them in museums. Mind-blowing. One more, the Bible is brutally honest about us. And if this were just like someone's ideas about man, they probably wouldn't make God so holy. They probably wouldn't make us so sinful It probably wouldn't say, hey, people are going to be punished for eternity. Like, I wouldn't write that. I wouldn't make that up. I'd want people to be like into my religion. It's brutally honest. And so if you're just in that spot of like, man, is the Bible true? Like, keep asking, keep studying, keep reading, because this thing actually checks out. Now, I'll kind of close with this. So this is all under the Lord spoke to Moses. Um, So growing up, I, I grew up in a Christian home, Christian school, church. Uh, but to be honest, I like never craved this book. I never like wanted to read it. I never like sacrificed my life or sleep for it. There were times I'm like, yeah, okay, I'll learn it. And uh, I obeyed the parts that I wanted to and like felt good. And I ignored the parts I didn't want to look at and was like, yeah, other people do that too. And so I just tried, I was like, whatever. Um, and so like, I was a Christian. I said I agreed with it. And I went all through college agreeing with it, uh, never really reading it. And then my senior year in college, um, I just have this season where like, this is depressing if you've had it, maybe it's going to come, maybe not, where like, it's just a bad semester. And like, I just started to like slip up in life, like grades, like I just would forget about assignments or papers. And or like, all of a sudden my grades started to go, or I started to give in to sin more. 
And I was just like, man, what is happening? And then, you know, like you get harder on yourself and then you just keep failing. And it was like, I was just stumbling after stumbling after stumbling. And then I began to see like things in my heart that I didn't know were there. Like anger would come out or just different things. I was like, wow, is that really me? And then whenever I did read this book or whenever like it was in class or whenever it was around and I started to like really compare myself, like when I read Matthew, like the Sermon on the Mount, I was like, dang it, like I pretty much fail that whole sermon. And I started to get worried. And I, I grew up like, I'm fine. I'm not worried. I'm cool. I love the Bible. And then like, I just started to fail and started to get really worried. And I began to see like, I actually didn't measure up to how God calls us to live. And I actually began to feel the fact that like, I had sin in my life. And um, and like, I was like, yeah, the Bible's cool. But like, honestly, I don't want to read it because it makes me feel guilty. Like, every time I read it, I feel guilty. I, I don't, and I was like, mm, and I'm going to try to obey it. And I'm going to try to do the right things. And like, I'm going to give things away to homeless people and try to be a good Christian. And I would like sing at church and do the right things. But like, my heart just started to be like, I like don't want it. I, I, like, and anytime I read it, I just feel guilty. And I would say that for all of us, there have been at least some seasons where we've experienced that, like, God invites us close to him, and we're like, honestly, I don't want to go close to God. Like, I, I have all of this junk, and I know theoretically this is all good, but like, I, I don't want to be near to the Lord. I agree in my mind, but like, my heart is like, I, why would I go near to him? Martin Luther had this experience when he was a monk, and he was tripping out, and he's like, what do I do? And um, he was told by some people, do you not like, just go be with God. Just go be with him. It's going to be okay. And he tried, and he was like, honestly, the whole time, all I just felt was my sin. He's like, I, how could I be with God because I know who I am. I'm a sinner. It's like, that doesn't work. I can't just go be with him because I just feel wrecked. And the sermon, uh, I want to end here with this part of the verse. It said, the Lord spoke to Moses. Okay? Now, this is actually cool and significant. Why is it significant God would speak to Moses? Because God was communicating something to the world at this time. He says, hey, when I speak to my people, they are sinful and they need something called a mediator. They need something to go between them as as sinful and me as holy. They need a mediator. They can't just be with me because if they do, we all saw what happens. Like they, they burn up, they fry Like, it's not a good thing. God was saying, I need a mediator. And then everything he spoke through Moses and all of Leviticus was like means to mediate us being with God, like a sacrifice or a priest or a tabernacle or whatever. It was like things mediating us being close to God. Uh, And then we see that it doesn't actually really work in the Old Testament. We see that, that even though there was these mediators, like there was something wrong in people's hearts. And even though all this stuff was in place, people were like, still not loving God. And this, this system failed. And then this is so good, you guys. And I'm going to let you in on a secret that's going to be the end of every sermon in the book of Leviticus. This whole book, there's a key that unlocks every single chapter, every single part of it. And if you have a Bible, flip to John 1, verse 14, and this is how we're going to close.
So God was mediating through speaking to a mediator, to Moses. And then John 1.14 says this. Says it to me when I was failing. Says it to you when you feel far from God. Says it to all of Israel. It says this. And the word became flesh and dwelt, that word's the same as tabernacled, among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. Now, now here's the point. The Lord speaking to Moses is like, you need a mediator. And Jesus is, is that better Moses. The, this whole system, it didn't work. And people felt guilty. And maybe you feel guilty. And you're like, I want to be with God. And like, I'm trying to do the right things. But like, I feel far from God. I want you to see in this verse that God, out of his love for you, in your sin, when you were far from him, was like, hey, I'm going to leave heaven. I'm not just going to speak to a mediator. I'm going to leave heaven. And I'm going to put on flesh. And I'm going to be the word of God in the flesh going to save the world, to bring them back to me. Like the Lord called Moses. If you're a Christian, Jesus, listen, Jesus called you by name. He called you by name. And when it says, and spoke to him, do you know what the ultimate, like what does God say to the world? It's Jesus. Do you know what God says to the world? Ultimately, at the end of the day, it's Jesus. Jesus is the word of God. You want to know what God says? He, he sends Jesus to come and die for your sins so that you can be made right and have a relationship with him. That's what God says. He's like, you know what I'm like? Look at Jesus. Do you know what I want to say to you? Look at Jesus. Jesus is the word of God. God says, though your sins are like scarlet, I'm going to die and wash you white as snow. And it says, from the tent of meeting, remember in, in Gen- or Leviticus verse one, from the tent of meeting, hey, Jesus is a better tabernacle. Like, you don't have to go into the temple anymore. In fact, the veil was torn. Like, Jesus is a better mediator. He's a better tabernacle. And now, if you've trusted him, not only is the veil torn, he's like, I'm gonna pour out my spirit in you. So, you used to have to go to this place and do all this stuff and then you could be with Jesus or be with God. Now, because of Jesus, the veil's torn and God's like, I'm gonna literally dwell in your body right now. If you're a Christian, God is dwelling in you. But the Bible says you are the temple of God, of the Holy Spirit. And God is in you right now. And he's, that's even better than if you could hang out with Jesus. It's even better because you'd have to go to sleep and like you, you wouldn't always see Jesus. You'd have to go to the bathroom. You have to do things. Like the Holy Spirit never leaves. The presence of God never leaves you. God is with you. And so here's like my invitation for us as we're closing. You may feel like me, like some of you guys may just have like sin in your life. And you're like, yeah, it's cool all those facts about the Bible, but like I don't really want to read it because I know about my life. I want you to know this. God comes to you and is like, I want to be with you. And in fact, I'm going to make a way for you to be with me. And I'm going to cleanse you so that you can have my spirit with you. If, if you have questions about God, it's God's like, listen, I want to speak to you. I want to tell you what I'm, life, what I'm like. God is saying tonight, literally like, I want to be with you. Because Jesus sent, God sent Jesus, he's saying, I want to be with you. And because he's given us his book, he's like, and you can actually know what I'm like. I've come for you. I've spoken to you. 
And so we're going to have a time of worship right now. Um, and first set was awesome, but I really, really, really want to like challenge us right now. It's Friday night. Uh, maybe we're tired, um, but we have made some space, like a lot of space. Who knows? 45 minutes, maybe more. Maybe, maybe hour 45. I don't know. We've made space for you to be with God. And listen, this isn't time for you to like muster up to go be with God. It's time to like remember the fact that God came for you and made a way for you to be with him. That God calls you by name and says, I love you and I want to be with you. That I've poured out my spirit on you. Okay, so uh, sorry if I dogged the charismatic people earlier because we need the Holy Spirit right now. And we need... Uh, so I know like at church, we can be like, yeah, they do that, and then I get to do this. That's actually not the way it goes. Like you all are the church, the body of Christ, and you all are vital. And some of you have gifts that other people need right now. Um, and so we're going to make space to worship. So like we have carpets up here to just lay on your face or kneel. Uh, literally, you can use the whole room to go like lay in a row. We're going to have people praying for you. We have people who are gifted in prayer and in intercession um, just to pray over you. Like they'll kind of be like up in these areas. But listen, you guys have each other. You, some of you have gifts right now of prayer, of healing, of prophecy. Like you can pray and we want to make space for you to, to like love and worship and, and be with Jesus and love each other in that. Um, so just pretty much full-blown like Let's be free. Let's worship him. Let's engage with him. Let's abide in him, in his presence. If you guys are sleepy, need to go, no problem. But we're going to seek him for a while. Um, so I'm going to pray for us. And Dom's going to cruise up. And we're going to spend some good time being with the Lord right now. Jesus, thank you that you came after us, that you're the better mediator, that you are the word of God, that you cleanse our sin, that this book ultimately is about how you want to be with us and what you've done so that we could be with you. Thank you for sending your Holy Spirit. Right now, your spirit is in us. Holy Spirit, we just invite you. We say you're free, you're welcome here. Jesus, I pray that this would be a time of like confession and repentance to you. We'd come take communion and remember that your body was broken and your blood was spilled so that we could be cleansed. God, some of us just need encouragement and prayer. Would we like turn to a friend or, or come get prayer? But Lord, above all, we just want to be with you right now. We just want to be with you. We want to abide in the in the shadow of the Almighty. Right now, you are over us. You love us. You beckon us. You call us. You invite us to be with you. Pray we wouldn't like hold things back from you, God. We wouldn't hold back questions or doubts. And I really just pray that you would allow your body just to function right now, that we would feel free to worship. We wouldn't be embarrassed. We would be free to worship you, Lord. You are worthy worthy to be praised. So we're going to praise you now. Lord.